As parents, I think we all believe we're doing the best we can, but we're also aware that we can always do better. How to do better, though, is of course not a very simple answer. So let's get a complicated one today on the official podcast of the Canadian Psychological Association. My name is Eric Bullman. I'm the communications person at CPA, and this is Mindful. How do psychologists look at parenting and parenting styles? And is there one style that tends to work better than others? Of course, every child is different and every parent is different and what might be right for you may not be right for some. Uh, those are just the facts of life. So we called on an expert to help us unpack some of this today. My name is Christina Rinaldi and I'm a professor in the School and Clinical Child Psychology program at the University of Alberta in the College of Social Sciences and Humanities. And I'm also um, a practicing psychologist. I call myself a child psychologist because I work with children and adolescents and their families. And that's what I research. I also supervise students who are um, training to be psychologists. The reason that we ended up uh, connecting with one another was because we had a media request that was asking about the difference between authoritarian and authoritative parenting styles, parenting styles being one of your areas of expertise. And I remember thinking when I got the request and having spoken to you a little bit subsequent to that, that I've always thought of parenting styles as being something like personality traits, right? There's a bunch of different things. You might fit into this box a little bit and that box a little bit, and you might be all over these the place, but there's no one right way to be. And then I saw this and I thought, oh, maybe there actually is a proper parenting style that we can all aspire to achieve. Am I right in thinking that, that there is actually a way that is better than other ways? That's definitely a good question. And a lot of parents want to know because they, they want to know what they're doing and if it's going to be okay for their kids. I'm going to give you a lovely answer and say it depends. Yeah. <laughs> Everything is contextual, but certainly there are certain parenting styles uh, over the years that have stood the test of time as being associated with better better outcomes for for children and adolescents that they that seem to be connected to healthier social emotional development of self-esteem even academic outcomes so there seems to be nice associations between more responsive and a clear communication and parents who also set clear boundaries for their children. So I'm I'm send, I'm kind of summarizing generalizations overall large studies over time um, right. have consistently found this, right? Um, yes. One other question I had when we first started talking about this, right? The two competing narratives that this reporter wanted to talk about was authoritarian versus authoritative. And it took me a long time to even wrap my head around the fact that those were two different things. They sound so similar. They sound like they're basically the same word. They're not obviously, but uh, I'm wondering if I, what I'm asking is, can we come up with better words so that there's very much a distinction between the one and the other? Most people probably hit on this, like most parents, most people who 
observe parents or work with parents, we, we get that other terms have come up in recent years. Um, we hear helicopter parents, we hear all sorts of bulldozer. They're, these aren't the official ones, but we've heard other types of parenting styles become very popular in popular culture and media. We hear that because they're, they're buzz terms, but with authoritative and authoritarian, again, I'm going to use what the original theorists or researchers, this is like decades old, but what they were really looking at is how responsive and how demanding, and I'll try to even simplify that further. So our parents basically attend to their children's needs, listen, are present, are warm. Uh, That's what responsiveness kind of gets at. And in authoritative, which I kind of rhyme with positive, even though that wasn't, that's one way for me to think about it. You know, they are responsive. They are listening to their, to the children's needs and demands. They understand their kids and are pretty child-centered in that way. They also, though, however, set clear. So what is demandingness? Demandingness doesn't necessarily sound like a great thing, but if if we understand how the terms were originally conceptualized, it really meant setting um, some structure and boundaries and having clear expectations. And that if uh, parents do that, then they are both responsive and have some expectations and they would say high on demandingness, then they would be categorized loosely or fall into the authoritative parenting style. Now, if they're Um, I'm going to give the contrast to authoritarian. Authoritarian is not traditionally warm, responsive in that way. In other words, they tend to be in, I suppose, a stereotypical way, cold or non-responsive or don't necessarily want to engage in a back and forth or a justification or negotiation or understanding their child's needs in that way the way this was studied or the way this was conceptualized. And they also are have high expectations and set these strict boundaries. And so when parents are very driven on their own needs and their own uh, objectives, when they do have these maybe strict rules and maybe even um, punishment, and there's only a one-way kind of communication and it's not interactive or reciprocal in any way, we would qualify that as an authoritarian parenting style. You said this is decades old, this notion of the two different styles and this sort of contrasting styles, I guess. Has that changed over the years in the sense like, do parents tend to behave differently now than they did, say, three decades ago, thanks to what they now know from pop culture or from, you know, psychologists like yourself uh, putting out some of this information? Or are parents essentially the same as they were in 1970, and we treat our kids the same way? Generation X and the boomers are not as far apart as we think. Well, some people would say, why bother still studying parenting? Don't we know everything we need to know? But, you know, we keep evolving and changing, and our social contexts get more complex. There's technology. There's other kinds of things that come up that perhaps parents of a different generation didn't have to deal with. And so we can't say that parenting is static necessarily, or that it it wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't change. And and so yes, I, I didn't talk about the different using the same kind of parameters of demandingness and warmth or responsiveness. There are two other 
styles and dimensions that those original researchers also came up with. And it was uninvolved or neglectful. And then the other one is permissive, which is also the third. If Really, there are four, but those three, authoritarian, authoritative, and permissiveness, seem to get the most attention. And parents have changed over time. While my research hasn't looked at decades-old research, what we have found is that maybe generations ago, authoritarian would have been uh, more, let's say, globally accepted especially in a Western North American kind of context. But we see that has changed. So, And we see a lot of debate actually in public kind of forums and discourse about, you know, parents not wanting to impose any structure or limits or boundaries or the opposite parents over-involved in their children's lives and not giving them any freedom with respect to maybe choice of things that they are participating in. Do they have free play or are they overscheduled? Things like that are really interesting because those things have changed. People do say, oh, we don't let our children play anymore the same way that we used to let them ride bikes down the street, come back later on. I'm not saying that I advocate for that. <laughs> there's, yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of discussion about that, but that was um, people's on average, people's experiences of childhood, which is a very different experience today. So to answer your question, yes, parents do report today having different kinds of styles and approaches to their parenting. And I just want to make another distinction that the terms that we've talked about are styles and dimensions, and that's how parents report approaching parenting situations, whereas there's other ways to study it by looking at behaviors, what they're actually doing. But a style and a dimension is a typical way that a parent responds to uh, parenting situations. And we know that parents have different kids and children bring things to situations as well. They bring their own personalities and their own way of being. And while I think they're very useful to help conceptualize different ways that people parent, it doesn't give a full or complete enough picture. You mentioned these online discussion forums where people talk about their different styles of parenting. I know my wife is in all these Facebook moms groups where there's uh, an enormous amount of advice. And I presume that 90% of it is sort of nonsense and noise. And some of it might be quite good. But in those circumstances, right, they use different terms. They're the helicopter parenting, the bulldozer parenting, all this kind of thing. And over time, the Oxford Dictionary keeps adding words like twerk because we've used them so much on uh, social media. Does the DSM eventually follow that model? Will they eventually put helicopter parenting into the official diagnosis? Or is it going to be uh, pretty static as far as the terms that we use for years to come? I have not seen the DSM even go close to talking about (laughs) parenting in that way. But I mean, sure. I mean, if popular culture is embracing those terms, they are getting at the gist of it. But what's really important and maybe a little bit of a divide between research and, you know, how we live our daily lives is that, you know, when I'm talking to my other parent friends, they get helicopter parenting. It's a really good visual for them. Whereas if I say, oh, your 
uh, permissive or you're you're over involved or authoritarian, they're like, what? You know, that right. doesn't have the same kind of ring. So people want it to make sense. It's got to resonate with them. So I think if we kind of dig deeper into like the kinds of things that parents engage in. So if we look at what is permissive, nobody wants to say, oh, yeah, sure, I'm permissive. I let everything go. But if you think about, you know, parents who maybe have a really difficult time putting boundaries in or setting like a bedtime routine or quiet time in the home or whatever is important, uh, sharing, cooperation, involvement in chores, whatever we talk about. And I know this differs for different age groups. If they have difficulty or if they overindulge a child to avoid conflict or to appease them or to appease a tantrum, we start to see that really, oh, okay, they are aligning more with this. But I think it's really helpful for the parents to give them concrete examples and to to also give them a rationale for perhaps why it's detrimental or it could be problematic where if you've spent 30 minutes going back and forth with your child on something and then you give in, what would that given meaning that the child gets their way after you've been trying to take a stand and doing it another way. Or, you know, and that's not uncommon. That's a very common parenting experience. How do I, how do I navigate this? And it's usually because in relationships and parents and children are no different, we have sometimes different goals and objectives in a situation. Right right? You want to get out the door, your child wants to take their time. <laughs> so all of a sudden, it's like, okay, well, how, how do we how do we deal with this pressure? Yes, I remember uh, many years ago, when our youngest, we would take her to the video game store, it was the blockbuster at the time, right? They would actually rent you movies, and you could bring them home in this. And we would let her rent one video game while she was there. But I had to block out two hours of time to go to the video store because I knew that there is no way she's making a decision in the first 20 minutes that it's going to be browsing every single one on the shelves, which are the same ones that were there before. But I guess at some point you kind of go, okay, I know how this is going to go. And as long as we can uh, spare the time, then we're going to be all right. Yeah, you resonated with some of that of like, oh, I had to navigate this a little bit and kind of put some parameters that I was comfortable with and that you kind of were responding knowing your child. And that's the other thing, too, is like, how well do parents know what their kids need? And they do most of the time. However, when some parents have more than one child, I often also hear it works so well with child A. Why isn't it working the same way with child B? And it's like, exactly, because because they're different and the styles don't necessarily sometimes always align or there's different kinds of ways that people connect. I or anybody looks like an amazing parent when you make a request and your child just says, okay, and they comply. The difficulty comes, the challenge comes is when you don't get compliance or you don't get that easygoing back attitude, which the majority of people don't necessarily have. And so when we are taxed or pushed back on whatever it is that we're asking, and we're just talking about natural requests, but that's what's living in a family is about, is about uh, a lot of routines, a lot of, you know, 
uh, eat sleep schedules or for school-age kids, it's around homework and activities and extracurricular. And all of a sudden you have these time, children's time schedules, parent time schedules, and all of a sudden you see some of these parenting styles and dimensions come into play in, in a real way. If I'm a parent and I'm listening to this right now and I'm thinking, I'd like to know what style I use. I'd like to know uh, how, you know, how am I doing as a parent and where can I improve? Is there some way for the, for a parent to just go online and check in on that in a way that's not going to feed them a pile of disinformation? Well, there, there's lots of lovely studies they could participate in. Even here at the University of Alberta, I'm conducting studies with parents at, about their parenting styles and um, with preschoolers all the way to adolescents. And so that's one way to get, you know, information. And by participating, they can get general findings and information. And think about when they do fill out questionnaires or interviews or do questions led by researchers in parenting or psychologists who are doing this work, what they can at least feel comfortable about is that they actually, a lot of parents tell me in participating, they learn something about themselves in doing this. So sometimes people are like, well, I don't have the time to do this, but at least you know that you're being asked questions that's going to be looked at and then you can get some information back. And they also find answering the questions very informative. Online, it's a little trickier. It's not that it can't be found, but it is a little trickier to make sure, you know, especially I'm leery about the quizzes that will like automatically put you in a category because it is complex. It's simple in some ways and it's complex in other ways. So I wouldn't want parents to like just go there, think they have a label and then that's it because rarely are we one thing. (laughs) So I said we're one or another, but context really matters. And I think that's another important piece for parents to like think about, even if they do see that they gravitate towards a particular style or way of being, or that they have certain kinds of values that comes into it as well. And it's important and that they're managing a lot too. They're managing perhaps what worked for them when they were kids or their styles whether they align, they like or they gravitate towards that or they said, oh, you know what? I, I'm not happy the way <laughs> my parents did these kinds of things. And I actually would like to do something very different or the fact that they might be co-parenting and they have another individual in the mix who may or may not align with the way they parent themselves. So all of a sudden it's like, it is really interesting to see the broader kind of context of that. But um, there are places that they can go to find out a little bit more. Um, there's great resources out there for parents. And I'd encourage them. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a shameless plug, but I would encourage them to engage in parenting research because that's how we learn about them, create good resources for them, and they can learn a little bit about themselves as well. Now, I like that you mentioned being wary of online quizzes, because I get that, right? You take an online parenting quiz and it'll tell you, you have the parenting style of an albino honey badger and you'll go, okay, well, neat. I guess that's it. So yes, I think almost all of those quizzes must be taken for entertainment purposes only and, and not much more. But you did mention that 
you know, when people are thinking about the way their parents were parenting them and they don't necessarily want to do some of the same things the same way, uh, how much does your own parents' style inform the style that you end up using with your own children? Do people push back against it and tend to be different with their own children or do they tend to follow the same pattern? Do we know? Like I said, they can fall into those two camps. But the thing is, they've also have spent a lifetime observing and learning and seeing that in practice. So some might easily fall back to what they've seen or know unbeknownst to them until they're reflective of or see maybe kind of the styles or like, why is a rule a rule? We we get these, un they're almost like hidden rules in the family in the sense that they're not spoken of, but it's a given. I mean, why does somebody say we all have to eat at the table together and we have to have dinner every week at this time or these things like where does that come from right why are some certain things really important to some family members versus others and so those kind of beliefs or values yes absolutely there's connection to um culture and family practices And that varies from family to family, individual parent to individual parent. And that's what I mentioned about the co-parent. You might have different values within the same co-parenting structure or even, uh, you know, we also have single parents. And so we all have all sorts of family dynamics regardless. So that is something that does come up. But with respect to whether they tend to gravitate to that, I'm not sure that they are aware of that until they they maybe think about it. Well, like, why am I engaging this? Often as parents, we are busy in the doing. We are just parenting, reacting, hopefully proactive sometimes in thinking about it. But when we get to that level, that's when we might be thinking, like, why is this important to me? Why am I why am I stuck on this component? But again, we tend to compare very often with a little narrow uh, lens of like when i was growing up we we are the best storytellers of our own lives right. <laughs> we're like when i was growing up this is and so if we tend to fall in that we're applying that lens to parenting sometimes uh, but school has changed society has changed so it's really interesting if we don't have exposure to lots of other kids or lots of other children, which a lot of parents don't, they reflect back to when I was a teen, when I was a kid, this is what happened and our faulty memory at that. <laughs> right. And, and that's sort of something that I wanted to touch on, right? I feel like we are not reliable narrators of our own previous life, right? Of our own childhood and our own parents, right? Because as so much time has passed and we sort of look back on things with either rose colored glasses or the opposite. And then, you know, and you see people saying when I was a kid we you know stood up in the back of pickup trucks and drank out of the hose and jumped off cliffs and we are fine so now kids are terrible or something right you go we didn't have car seats should we go back to that I don't think so (laughs) right right I'm not sure that's something to be celebrated like we have learned things in the interim that probably keep all of us a little safer right and so and I'm wondering if you have a sense of sort of how accurate that is, right? The, this notion that kids today are entitled because parents are helicopter parents and do everything for them and that sort of thing. Is that even accurate? I feel like it's something that could have been said by every previous generation over the course of human history, but kids today, you know? 
Well, they are, they, yes, that is a very common repetitive theme. If you talk to grandparents, they'll say the same thing. So every generation is appalled. <laughs> Maybe that's an over, uh, that's an exaggeration, but of like, oh, what's going on with the world today? But so that we see as cyclical. You you did ask about whether they're accurate in their recollections. I, I'd say rather than accuracy, I'd be more interested in perceptions. So if that's how you as a parent perceives it or recalls it, that is really important. It's your perception and it's where you're at because we're not really going out unless they have to work through some sort of things for themselves and figure that out. Then um, it's and understand other people's perspectives who were involved in it. But with the rose colored glasses or looking back, that's an interesting thing because I'd say that you know, the entitlement piece, everybody's talking about that. And I think it's trying to come to terms with a new generation of youth, children and youth, and that they are different than than yeah. we are. And of course, of course they are. And I think it would be really lovely to focus on their strengths as well. And not just as a generation, all the challenges that they they are facing. And as parents, I suppose we're facing by parenting them in a time where there's these unknowns, like, my parents didn't have to worry about phone access, so that's the comparator. I'm not going to say whether it's good or bad, but they didn't have to think about navigating in uh, a social media context. And should I put some parameters around when, when? I mean, I see babies with smartphones or tablets, okay? So it's not it's not about, like, but they're clearly right. not posting things just yet. So all of a sudden it's like, should I post things about my kids? When can I allow my children to have a presence? And so these are the discussions, they're different. But at the core, even though we're talking about the over-involvement that you were talking about is, do I let my children have any autonomy or say in their social, academic, any kind of world. So please, I need to premise this, that it's very developmentally based. In other words, we talk about different kinds of things at different ages about like what would be appropriate for, you know, a six-year-old versus what would be appropriate for a 14, 16-year-old. So there are different kinds of things that parents are balancing. But what does having some independence or autonomy, which is valued a lot in Western cultures, but what does it mean even if we want to talk about more social collective group kinds of activities, what is appropriate? What what do we socialize our children? Do they learn how to give and take and share and cooperate at an early age? Are they exposed to other people? And how much do parents drive that? So the example would be play dates. When do parents drive relationships for their, their kids when they're early on versus taking a step back and not being the driving force. An example that comes up is play dates. Sometimes parents are like, have these conversations about what if you have planned for the play date? And it's right. like, what do you mean? What do I have planned? The children will figure out what they're going to do together. And that's a creative play process. But not all parents are okay with that. Some are like, no, I expect that we have a scheduled <laughs> line <laughs> of activities where we are and, and for lack of a better word, we are entertaining or we are really setting up all the activities for the kids as opposed to being comfortable with maybe less structure and having the children figure it out for themselves, how they're going to 
play (laughs) (laughs) and spend their free time. Yeah. And I keep thinking back to when the pandemic first started and we're setting up in our house and we set up in the garage so I could sort of work and look outside at the street. My neighbors across the way had a kiddie pool in their front yard. It was like I had waterfront views just so I could work during the day. And there were kids who would play basketball on our street. And there was mom and her tiny little daughter who would go for walks and the little daughter wanted to go and play with those kids. But it's COVID time and you're not supposed to gather in groups, right? Those kids, it was totally fine. Their parents go outside, go play, do this. And this parent was saying like this, we can't do this. We're trying to abide by public health regulations, right? And I'm wondering if you've noticed COVID changing the way people do parent, right? Does it change styles? Does it, or does it sort of accentuate the style that was already in place? Uh, Have you noticed a significant difference one way or the other? We just completed a study actually about with parents and teens during COVID and asked them about the relationship during this time. So that was about 13 to 18 year olds who participated and one of their parents. And we interviewed them and talked about like, what what was it like spending all this extra time together during COVID? So it's just one study, but I'll, I'll, I'll just give an example and then maybe talk about in general what parents and kids experienced. But basically, yes, there was great variability in families. Well, it depends where you lived as well and lockdowns. But some parents were very, very clear about what needed to be followed, what rules. And yes, other parents were more lax around that. So does that align with their styles? Possibly, I'd say where we really like, I mean, there's various reasons why parents would take a stand on that, especially when it comes to health. So that would be a great variability there. But in how they applied it is, I think, where the styles come in. In other words, were they open and communicative with their kids? Or here's an authoritarian. We're doing this because (laughs) because I said so or because mom and dad uh, or, you know, whoever the parents make the decisions that you can see the style. A permissive style under that would be like, I made the rule, then I changed the rule, or I have no rules, or I'm inconsistent with the rules. Authoritative parent would, if we go back to those original styles, would would set the parameters, but would also have discussion. And it was easier for 13 to 18 year olds to have those discussions than younger kids, like you're in your example. But nonetheless, explaining that really goes a long way when kids are you know, understand their parents' perspective as best they can for whatever age they're at. And it's not this you, how you feel doesn't matter or uh, doesn't count. And I'm not saying that that's what parents want, but sometimes the messaging or how they're conveying it does um, come across as, you know, when you say it's because you're not opening any space for like, I'm disappointed that I can't do this or understanding that kids during that time really were losing a lot. And so even acknowledging that would have been a big step. Yeah, we we talked about that a little bit when it came to kids who had needle fear, right? They're going to get vaccinated and they're going to go in and, you know, some parents instinct is just like, let's get this over with, you know, yeah, you're going to scream, but we're going to get you safe and vaccinated. And you know how that might not be the right approach because until the child really accepts it on their own, they're going to develop fear of needles over the course of their lives and that sort of thing. I, I'm wondering, are you a parent yourself? 
And if so, I, does this like yeah. play in your head all the time? Are you always thinking when you're home with your kids, like, uh, oh, I know what I'm doing this time, I, you know? No, isn't it great when you're you're a parent and you know you know the literature, you know like the studies and all that information, and which gives me more empathy for other parents because it's like I kind of have an idea of what would be great, but sometimes you know it doesn't mean <laughs> there's no such thing as a perfect parent, and I'm certainly tested myself with, you know, oh wow, it would be so easy if I just give in here or some on something, but it's like okay, this is a little bit hard harder to like, to, to work through something. Um, it is, it takes time and effort. I'm thinking of your blockbuster example of two hours. It's easier to like, (laughs) just like, this is the movie I'm picking it. Let's go. But if you wanted your child to actually pick the movie, you're spending that extra time. So sure. I'm thinking about that. A lot of the times I'm hope, hopefully most of the time I think and plan, but but it's difficult. And depending on which stage my children were at, we had different challenges at different times. And in my own parenting experience, I've had the pleasure, I suppose, of having very different temperament personality in my kids. So uh, I really have had to be able to shift my approaches and responsiveness can even look different with different kids, what they need. Like you mentioned with your example, some kids are totally fine with a little talk and being prepped for something that's going to happen. Or I'm even thinking about like, I often get asked, how do we prepare kids for the first, for starting kindergarten or for the first day of junior high, or when they, these transitions in life are going to summer camp or something new in their life. Mm -hmm. I often get asked, how do we prepare? And there are certain ways to help prepare kids, but not all kids respond or need the same level of preparation or a slow kind of integration into school versus others need a little bit more time. Others are like, hi, and they're introducing and they're the ones dragging their parents in. So (laughs) it really does vary. So yeah, that's kind of neat. I mean, obviously, I'm not bored. This is so fascinating to me. (laughs) I can just talk about it all the time. Well, unfortunately, we have very little time left to talk about it. So I'm hoping that you can just leave us uh, with a piece of advice. What is the one piece of advice you find yourself giving to parents more often than any other? First of all, to be kind to themselves and to perhaps not right now, as you mentioned, we started off with all the available information out there and parents feel overwhelmed with that. So I would say, first of all, to try to be tune out the judgment and to really tune into themselves and to be reflective of what they value and what's important to them. And to also understand each of their child and their individual needs. And I think that's a good place to start and to give themselves some space for something that's a really big piece and important part of their lives, but also to have a sense of humor in this process if they can. And that there are great available resources out there if they are feeling overwhelmed that there are resources in their community the people who do this and who really love to talk about this stuff and some is free and some isn't but that there are good resources out there and of course as and I know that this might sound cliche but they're not alone in this process 
that there is a community out there for them as well. Terrific. I will add one more thing, which is stay away from BuzzFeed quizzes. That's uh, <laughs> Dr. Christina Rinaldi. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for having me. Of course, there is no easy answer when it comes to parenting and no perfect style for every child. So as Dr. Rinaldi says, be kind to yourself. Thanks to Dr. Rinaldi for sharing her expertise today and to you for listening, streaming, and downloading today's episode. Mindful is written, hosted, and published by me, Eric Bolman. Our producer is Jamie Montgomery, and our theme music is Avenues by David Taylor. 